Welcome to Beginner Women, a podcast where we throw out our adult agendas and focus on what it takes to shape a new future for girls and young women. From education and career to health and wealth, we talk to experts, thought leaders, and extraordinary women who will challenge the way you think about girls, women, and ambition. Here's your host, Katherine Cornfield. Welcome to Beginner Women. I'm Katherine Cornfield, founder of Ambitious, and that's Ambitious with a She, where we take a unique approach to leadership and career development. We've helped hundreds of girls and young women to develop autonomy, agency, and purpose by equipping them with the critical skills and knowledge they need to thrive today and in tomorrow's world. We started this podcast because we know how important everyday role models are, and we want to empower you, parents, educators, and other caring adults with smart, actionable strategies to help the beginner women in your lives reach their full potential. Thank you so much for joining us. We're starting today with Mara O'Brien James. Mara is currently serving as interim president and CEO of Care Canada, an international development agency focused on the empowerment of women and girls, which of course we're going to talk more about soon. Mara has spent more than 10 years in progressively senior roles at Care and draws on diverse experience in healthcare management and consulting, serving a wide range of clients in healthcare, high-tech, government, and international development. Mara has a BA from Trent University in Canadian History and Education, and has also studied organizational development at Carleton University's Sprott School of Business. Having lived and worked on three continents, Mara is also qualified as an international traveler and refers to herself as a proud feminist mom. Lucky for us, she's a dedicated, ambitious advisory board member, too, and we're really, really pleased to be starting right here today on International Day of the Girl, talking to Mara. So let's dive right in. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks, Catherine. For our listeners who aren't quite clear, officially, International Day of the Girl is a United Nations designated day of observance. It's intended to raise awareness uh, around gender equality faced by girls around the world, but also... Um, to celebrate strength and power and promise that uh, that they contain. So I'm going to ask Mara right off the top to tell us a little bit about the work that CARE is doing to support the girls uh, of the world and to address the issue of global gender inequality. Mm, yeah, well, we are definitely uh, working with girls around the world in all sorts of different ways. We specifically, CARE brings women and girls together to work on a few different things. And so we really focus on ways that uh, women and girls earn and save, the way that they access food and can farm better, um, enhancing health and nutrition, preparing for and surviving emergencies, and bringing about change in their own communities. One of the, uh, the programs that I saw that was just the most impactful and honestly the most personally moving, a couple of years ago I traveled to India to, uh, to see some of CARE's work in action. And uh, while there, we visited a, a middle school with boys and girls in grades 6 through grade 9 Canadian-wise. Uh, Canadian that particular program was so deeply impactful to me because what we saw was the girls were being asked to form leadership groups, not, not to be, um, not, not very different than leadership groups for girls in that same age range here in Canada. And they were talking about stepping up to the plate as leaders. But in order to be able to do that, before that, there had to be a bit of an assessment to find out what were the barriers to being a leader um, as a young girl in India. And there are a lot of barriers. And what CARE found out was that 
the, the school board had a system where girls were systemically being put into the position of being secondary to their, to their male student counterparts. So girls were not participating in gym class. At lunchtime, um, a nutritious lunch was served to all the children, and the girls would stay afterwards to uh, clean up all the dishes, wash them, and in the process, they would miss the recess out back where they could run and play. And girls were not um, encouraged or uh, coming out for leadership positions in the school student councils. Um, Looking at all of those in the leadership program, what ended up happening was that CARE worked with the school board to question why these things were in place. And teachers reported back, well, it's just always been that way, which is, is the case for a lot of things across, across the world. Um, the girls' groups came together and they were faced with these uh, realities. They knew them day in, day out. And they were asked, what would you like to see differently? And the girls said, well, we don't want to do the dishes and we'd like to play in gym class. And we think we should be on student leadership. And over time, um, they did just that. And so the part that was so fascinating about it was the boys' reactions to it. So it wasn't just changing the girls' minds and behaviors, but it was really about boys in their class being real advocates for them as well. So Because it has to come from both sides. And I was chatting with uh, bo- both the boys and the girls in school. And one of the boys said, um, I just, I want to tell you, that actually the girls are better leaders than the boys. (laughs) And I laughed out loud because the girls were all sitting there sort of smiling and nodding their heads. And I was thinking, isn't that telling that when they actually have the chance to be the student council president, everybody recognizes their innate leadership, leadership abilities, but they've never been encouraged to step up before. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. You're talking about the context um, and that sort of unconscious context around how things always have been. Yeah, yeah, they had it in them. And but but the assumptions were girls don't do that. And this really pushed all of those assumptions. Um and and personally for me, the reason it really resonated for me was the the young girl who was sort of really sticking with me that day and walking me through all of the changes that had happened was the same age as my daughter. So I really had this real sense of connection with her. At the time she was 14 and my daughter here home in Canada was 14. And I could see the same spark of like, you know, there, there was sort of a, there was a feminist leader in there and all it took was just um, some, some special efforts to let that, let that uh, shine through to come out and, and be, be powerful. It was really special, really special. The piece that was also really impactful of it for it was that, um, you know, care care works on a grand scale. So we work in like 95 countries around the world and we impact like 55 million plus people a year. And in this particular case, this wasn't just one school that was going through this, but it was like hundreds and hundreds of schools. And the impact was into, you know, the millions uh, across uh, the northern provinces in India. So that was also really it resonated for me that I was being impacted by one young girl telling me her story. But as I'm driving away that day, I'm thinking it's not just her. It's it's thousands of others. And that was really deeply impactful. So that is a that is a 
just the perfect story to start with. It leaves me with so, so many directions to go in, so many questions to ask, because you talked about the connection that was sort of innate between your own daughter and, and the young girl that you were, that you were with, and also about the scale and the size and the scope of the change, given, given the, the breadth of Kara's work in that region. You talked about the unconscious context and how when made conscious, change can be made um, together, both girls and boys, and the whole idea of advocacy and allyship and all the rest of that. But here, here's my question to start. Um, care works mostly with girls and women and almost all with girls and women in Canada. I'm not sure. Maybe you can um, just sort of clarify that for me. But then you talked at the outset about sort of the areas of earn and save, food and farm, health and nutrition. There was one other and then change making. Leadership. Leadership and change making. Uh, prepare for and survive emergencies. Mm-hmm. So in the places where a lot of the women and girls that we work with live, they are very much prone to um, emergencies, whether from the natural elements around them or the political context in which they live. I see. So I'm going to geek out a little bit on the um, international development side because because um, that focus on girls and women is, is relatively new. It hasn't always been that way in the international development world in particular. Can you speak to a little bit why um, that, that, that shift happened, um, especially since it's International Day of the Girl? Yeah, simply put, um, and I actually, before I say that, I should go back to say that Care, Care Canada and Care International, we do work with women and girls, but that means we also work with men and boys, because if we are to achieve equality for women and girls, it requires men and boys to buy in. Our programming is largely focused on women and girls, but not exclusively, and, and we, would be, um, we would be in error if it was exclusively focused on women and girls. We wouldn't be coming at the um, at the issue in a holistic way. Oh, that's great. That that that's exactly because again, it's that context. <laughs> you can't operate without it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, and and I go back to the India example. I mean, the really great part was that I was talking to the boys and the girls about the success of the program. They knew that. I mean, the boys were not excluded from it, or it would never be successful. The boys were part of it too. They understood that the girls were meeting and that they were learning about leadership, and then they saw it in action in their school, and they saw how it improved things. So it's it was full circle. One thing I would say is that um, what we know is that when women have ways to earn and save and farm better and access food and have you know good health and nutrition options in front of them, they are more likely to reinvest that money and those resources back in their families and their communities than men are. And that's, this is now well-known research. And we, we have learned from it and understand that um, ensuring that women have these opportunities and do have resources in their hands allows them to make um, real choices in their communities and in their households that before, when they weren't resource holders, that they couldn't, they weren't always listened to because they didn't have power in the in the decision dynamic. So that's, um, you know, a lot of our a lot of our work is around trying to shift that balance so that women have some power in their hands to be able to say, I disagree with that decision. I think we should do this, and. And in that simple conversation and the simple rebalancing of resources um, is where real, true, powerful change can happen. Uh, here, here. I mean, that's that's certainly 
the modus operandi uh, of ambitious here uh, at home in Canada. Um, and the fact that that can happen anywhere and should happen and needs to happen anywhere and everywhere, um, I think is is an interesting, uh, well, it's true, but it's also very interesting that, that I'm working domestically, CARE is working internationally, but you yourself have described some of the real uh, tangible similarities between the girls here, it, it, your daughter, for instance, and the girls that CARE works with in the developing world. And just that simple conversation where you're rebalancing resources and, and, and girls and women have the, uh, have the voice and the ability to, to sort of offer opinions and suggestions and, and be part of decision-making. So we've talked a little bit about the similarities there and how at the end of the day, we're all needing the same thing. But um, what are the differences? What are some of the challenges that that girls in the developing world face that girls in Canada don't necessarily? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think we're at different points. I mean, this is a very obvious statement. We're at very different points in the development spectrum. You know, a young girl in Zimbabwe is going to have a very different experience than a young girl in Ottawa. The young girl in Zimbabwe is in a more vulnerable position. The the societal norms that exist in Canada that say, you know, it's a good idea to ensure that a girl has as much education as possible. Not even it's a good idea. It's an assumed right that a girl has, you know, the equal opportunity to education and medicine and resources and food that a boy has. I mean, that's a given in Canada. It's not a given in rural Zimbabwe. It's not. Or or I'm, I'm using Zimbabwe as an example, but all of the places care works, it's, it's not a given. There are decades and centuries of cultural norms that don't make that a norm. And so it's about, um, it's about the starting point. So, you know, the young girl that I meet in Zimbabwe or India or, or anywhere, she's from, she's at a different, different starting point. She's really, really far back. And so we really have to be very aware that every, um, every interaction and every decision and every possible opportunity for her is, is clouded in that history. So, um, you know, in order, she may want to go to school, but in order to go to school, she may have to sort of really work against uh, her family, her community. School may not be um, safe for her to get to. So a lot of girls will have local education in their villages, but they won't, if they want to go past sort of the, the younger grades, they'll have to leave their village to go to school, which is, can be unsafe. So there's a lot of hurdles that um, it's hard for us to imagine as Canadians, to be honest. And so at CARE, we know that the women and girls have a really different experience in the world in places not like Canada. Um, one of CARE's specialties is about Uh, paying attention to those needs in emergencies. So specific to an emergency event, women and girls really, really face different realities than, um, than men and boys in those environments. So imagine being a young woman, let's say 17 years of age, and in Canada, you would be a teenager finishing up high school with all sorts of opportunity and potential in front of you. If you are a refugee in certain parts of the world, you are fleeing your country and heading to another country to try and find safety. You may be married, you may be pregnant, and you may be in the middle of um, real crisis. And so you're more vulnerable than, than others. And what CARE does is try to understand those vulnerabilities and set up solutions so that those vulnerabilities are mitigated somehow. So 
you know, in years past, we didn't think about young pregnant women in in an emergency context. What, like people are pregnant when a tsunami hits. Even just, um, you know, menstruation causes um, vulnerabilities for, for women and girls in these contexts. So it's about paying attention to the hurdles that exist in those environments that we might we might overlook because we don't assume them to be hurdles any longer, but they are for for many women and girls around the world. So that's a that is something that I know you and I have talked about this before. This idea that there is a global girls' agenda, and in Canada and in North America, there's a lot of interest and support around that. At Ambitious, like we're working really hard to try to equip girls with the knowledge and skills they need to actually take back action on their ideas to be global citizens. We're not necessarily directing them towards a particular subject or topic or or, or career path, but a lot of them are interested in um, the Global Girls Agenda. How, in, in your sense of things and in the work that CARE does, because I know you do some stuff here as well, not, not programming per se, but you do a lot of outreach and awareness. How engaged are girls in Canada with respect to the actual real issues facing girls in the developing world? Some of those things that you've just described, whether it's like a sort of pregnancy and menstruation in a crisis or whether it's about access to education and the, the very real challenge of sort of going against your family uh, to, to actually attend school. Like how aware are girls here of those, um, of those barriers to girls in the, in the rest of the world? How do you engage them? Mm-hmm. Well, this is why I'm honestly, Catherine, such a big fan of Ambitious, because it it really starts those conversations. It really sort of gets into that with girls in Canada to sort of let them think about things like, you know, imagine all of these issues like access to education and access to good food and pregnancy and menstruation during emergencies and, and even things like sexual violence and, and how how that uh, plays out um, outside of Canada for, for, for young girls and, and women. I think that there is, a, I have personally seen um, a real attitude amongst uh, young women in Canada today that they, they are aware of these issues. They are, I'm, I'm pretty amazed by them actually. And I have often said to my daughter who is 16, if, if my 16 year old self met you I would be wildly intimidated by you. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> you, I, I look at her perspective on my own daughter. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> I look at her and think, my gosh, your, your global mindset is so much bigger than mine was at that age. I truly had literally no clue until I was in my twenties about these issues. And there she is at 15 and 16, like leading on these issues, it, it's really, I am I am definitely um, moved by it. And I think it's a real, it's a real uh, sea change, if you will. Um, well, I could not agree more. And I know that, uh, that you and I connected last week, uh, just before the, uh, the climate march, uh, which I know she went to, uh, and you did as well. Tell me about that experience. Yeah. Well, that climate march here in Ottawa was really just incredible. The the energy of the young people at that march was really off the charts and and I felt like I left it with a just this this enormous sense of optimism. It was so good for the soul. Um, but it wasn't, it was funny. It wasn't just my daughter who was at that march. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier. My 13-year-old son was there too. And 
um, and his little group of friends was less engaged in this than um, than my daughter's group of friends, but he was committed to being there. It was a really big deal to him. Um, and I realized that the values and discussions I've been having with my daughter, I've also been having them with my son. And uh, and he he last year for the women's march, he really wanted to be representative of that too. And he said to me, "Well, mom, I have to go. I'm a feminist." I thought, "Okay, I've done my job. <laughs> this is this is incredible news." Um, and I felt I felt that energy from the youth at this march. There was just so much passion from them to make the world a better place. And, you know, some people are really critical of, of Greta and her movement and the young people's movement. And they're all saying, oh, it's, it's because they want an afternoon off school. It is so not that. Their, their energy and commitment is way, way beyond that. And I love that they're angry. Um, I think that's going to be channeled into uh, real, real change as they grow older and they choose their careers and they get out there and make a difference in the world. Even if they choose to become something that is not obviously attached to, um, you know, global issues, they have been exposed to these things at 13, 14, 15, and 16 years of age, a decade or more beyond when, say, you and I were ever exposed to it. So that, you know, sitting in those issues and understanding them from that age group onward can only be a good thing. Well, they're marinating, exactly. And yeah, marinating is the right yeah, word. <laughs> yeah, and I think they're, that what's, uh, what is so uh, promising, and I, you know, I share your perspective because in my own work, uh, you know, frontline with, with girls, uh, in particular, um, the young ones, um, the, oh, the old ones as well, but they've been marinating a while, but, but even in sort of the, the 13 and 14 year old girls that, that I work with, there is such, a, a, a desire to, uh, shape a better future. And, um, the work that, that we're doing is to really give them, um, the tools, right. Um, so that they can activate that, so they can understand the context in which they're working, so they can understand uh, or would be activating an idea, so they can understand our sort of uh, systems, uh, political and economic systems, um, and so they can develop the the set of skills um, to become uh, leaders and decision makers. And, uh, you know, it is a different context here in North America uh, than it is around the world. There, The concept of leadership development and economic empowerment for girls is uh, is is true everywhere, but applied differently, uh, in my in my view. Um, and I, I, I share. I, I think that the idea that they have been marinating for as long as they have, but uh, and caring and even angry as they are, uh, it's it is it gives us a lot of hope. But I also think that uh, the practical, tangible aspects of, of turning that hope and, uh, and anger into good is where um, the work that, that CARE is doing uh, is so critical um, around the world because we're doing it here with girls and women, but they, as you said, they're already starting ahead and that doesn't mean that they aren't barriers and there isn't unconscious bias and there isn't this culture soup we're all swimming in um, that, that sets it up and makes it a little more difficult for, for girls or girls at any intersection. But for those in the rest of the world where they have a longer distance uh, and, the, and the barriers are bigger, um, the fact that, that CARE is actually talking about giving tools uh, to girls and young women to lead, to, to um, earn, earn and save, to uh, 
to access and grow their own food and to to be healthy, that can only have an exponential benefit, to, you know, around the world. So, uh, you know, I I I love the connection to uh, that you have as a parent. And um, your experience uh, as a mother of a teen girl, uh, and and a and a boy too, as you say, you, you you've got two kids, but but the the perspective you have on your daughter being a beginner woman um, who would like blow you away at the same stage when you were there. What it, what have you learned from the work that you do that is relevant to your parenting? So despite the adversity and challenge um, that that uh, you see, there are things that parents here can learn from parents in the developing world or are there? Yeah, it totally does. Every time I go overseas and, um, and visit our project sites and I get to do that a couple of times a year and I've been with care for 10, 10 years. So it's been a lot of times. I, I always find an individual mom and sit down with her to just connect and talk and ask, you know, how is this working for you? I mean, because you can get a lot of information from big community meetings, but really uh, that one-on-one connection has given me so many insights into the universal approach to parenting, (laughs) Uh, parenting kids. It's really not that different. We all love our kids and we all want the best for them. And we're all willing to do almost anything to, to get that. Right. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I think is probably um, an, an easy sort of crossover is it's about the small choices that you make as a parent. I think, you know, the moms that I talk to are, are working really hard to be able to save money so that they have this resiliency with their kids, that they can weather medical emergencies and they can make sure that they're, you know, that they can pay school fees and and those are the things that they're working towards. But the small thing that I, I often focus on in my own life is is the you were talking about those unconscious biases. And when I was a kid, the unconscious bias was that a young girl who was loud or showed leadership qualities was bossy. That was that was the word that was always applied to me. And uh, and I had teachers who would reach out to me or not reach out to me. They would sort of sort of jokingly say, you know, oh, yeah, Mara's into that. Mara's our women's libber or Mara's, you know, Mara's into women's lib. <laughs> you have to you have to think this was it's the 70s and 80s. Right. But the language was not about leadership. It was about, you know, um, like a, a bossy kid or a kid who had some sort of like platform that they were breaching from. <laughs> And I think that has, those are small decisions, but I, I've tried really, really hard, even when my daughter was tiny, sort of not to to use the language of leadership um, equally amongst she and her friends and and between between the genders. Because we, we have these assumptions, right? You know, we talk about uh, things that sort of shift our thinking about ourselves. And, and back then, um that was a word that was applied to me now I look back on it and I wear it with a badge of honor (laughs) but that doesn't mean that those phrases should continue onward you know we had to talk about it differently because we've learned more in in the decades since yeah so just those like really small tweaks that that you can make in your language and in your expectation of children like you know and you said that that comes to light and that's true um when you're overseas and you're talking to moms in the developing world um and i think you know going back to the story you began with which is because we're coming up on the holiday season of course it's uh it's thanksgiving dinner uh in the next in the coming weeks where you know the girls weren't able to get out and do recess 
um, or take on any leadership or decision-making roles because they were doing the dishes mm -hmm. from lunchtime. Yeah. And, you know, here we are coming up on, uh, on a season where people gather with their families um, and they, you know, eat and meet and, and so on. But I, you know, I myself have, um, maybe out of protest, refused to do the dishes after dinner. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. But, you know, like, uh, I'm gonna sit here and talk with the men. But I think that as parents, um, um, of girls and boys, that there are always those really small, small shifts that, that we can make in, um, the most sort of even old fashioned of circumstances that will um, set a different course, you know, for, for um, our next generation, girls and boys. And so that's something that like I, I do, I'm not, I'm not really joking about um, sitting in protest, uh, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, everybody pitches in at our house. And I think that the, um, that the 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 lesson there for parents here is also the same overseas, right? There's a lot of similarities between just making those small shifts in language and action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it resonated with me. I mean, the reason the reason I was quote unquote a woman's liber was because my mom was. She was. She really showed me that you know the the small things mattered. I remember having very strident conversations with her about watching happy days when I was a kid and she didn't like happy days because the Fonz was disrespectful to women. So I wasn't allowed to watch it. And at the time I was mortified because everybody talked about happy days at school and I missed out. Now I look back on that and I think it was a small thing, but oh my gosh, did it ever inform who I became? Because it was my mom making a small stand in our household to say, this is not acceptable to me and it shouldn't be acceptable to anyone. That is, you know, it's funny, you just answered my last question, which is, you know, obviously you have been, and we, we didn't talk a lot about your own career path and all the, all the chapters along the way, but you've ended up in a position where you're a, a, a bona fide leader by role and decision maker, but also by behavior and by action and by example. Um, and you are through your work making a very significant impact uh, on the world each and every day. And so the question was, which you have answered in part, who were the people who had the biggest impact on you as a beginner woman in that time frame? And who were the everyday role models in your life that have made the biggest impression? So starting with your mom, but are there others? Oh, yeah. Well, I come from a very, very big Irish family. And I was surrounded by my mom and her sisters and my aunts on my father's side. And none of them were quiet or meek. <laughs> they were all very uh, strong-minded, opinionated women who who knew that the world was not entirely built the way it should be and, and voiced that over and over um, within our own household and, um, and beyond at, at bigger family events. And, and I, so I just, I, you know, you talk about marinating, I marinated in that for my first 10, 15 years. And so I just had this real sense of there are, there are points in this world that are unfair towards women and that's not acceptable. So we just need to fix that. Um, it wasn't conscious. It just was deeply ingrained. And I think um, in many ways for the women that uh, CARE works with overseas and Canadian women and men, 
a lot of us believe this in a, on a very deep level. And in Canada, this started to percolate decades ago. Um, and we're now seeing the outcome of it. All of these like incredibly civic minded um, young men and women, both who believe that the world is not entirely built right and we need to do something about it. And they're, they're being very, very active about it. My hope is that, um, you know, that the rest of the world continues to move along that trajectory too. So that, um, you know, the mums who are making small, and I should actually, actually correct myself, the mums and dads who are making small changes in their households in places like Zimbabwe and India, the, the places I've talked about today, that those have a long ripple effect over time. That CARE talks a lot about the the sort of the ripple effect of lasting change, because we don't want um, change to just exist in in one household in one generation. It's it's got to be um, over generations and for um, and for time immemorial, or or it's not it's not uh, it's not going to be truly effective. That is the um, perfect place to wrap up. I think we this this podcast, as you know, is um, aimed at. Uh, the everyday role models, the, the 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 people who are parents and educators or other caring adults, aunts, uncles, whoever, who are circled really around uh, the young women in, in their lives. So that to, sort of to make conscious for them the impact they have. And you're the you're the classic case example of 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 being um, in an environment where, you know, the the injustice or or the inequality was was made uh conscious it was made uh real and it, it it was uh a concept that you baked in marinated baked i've got all these cooking analogies for some <laughs> strange reason because well, thanksgiving so is coming up <laughs> maybe i'm not so good at that but nevertheless i think that's a really good place because you know th- this podcast um is really to encourage um parents to, and all the rest, to really be mindful of those small, small changes that they themselves can make because there's power in those changes. There is a ripple effect and that, that those changes can last not just in their own household, but over time and into future generations. So that's perfect. Perfect place to end. Thank you. I have one last question for you. And that is, is there anything else that you would sort of like to leave our, uh, leave us thinking about? Any last thoughts? Well, I actually heard something last week that really resonated with me, and it's been on my mind a lot. Um, I heard someone say, and the feminist thinker, if you if you are on the elevator on the way up, bring someone with you. And I thought, oh, isn't that a really great um, a really great thought? And I have it's been in my mind for the last week or so because. I mean, the elevator up is anything. If you if you live in Canada and you have all sorts of opportunities and potential at your feet, bring someone along with you, or or focus your work and your life so that you can you can make life better for someone else. Right down to if you are that young woman in India, bring someone along with you. She left me with a story actually at the end of that visit. Um, she had received some understanding about a new law in India that um, that banned child marriage, and her uncle was trying to uh, set up a marriage for her cousin. She and her cousin 
<laughs> stood up for themselves and said, no, uh, we learned in school that there's a new law that says you can't do that. So, and we're supposed to go tell the police if you do. <laughs> <laughs> there you and go. I thought to myself, there you go. That's what it is. It's when you, when you have some new piece of information or you've learned something or you have an opportunity to do better, do it, but bring someone along with you. That's great. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing that story. That's a good one to, to end on. Uh, yeah. Thank you very much for joining us again today, Mara. Thanks, Catherine. I love the opportunity. Thank you to our listeners for joining us on Beginner Women, a show where we throw out our adult agendas to shape a new future for girls. Check out our show notes for the resources we talked about in today's episode and for the actionable insights you can use to nurture and empower the girls you know. If you like what you hear on our show, write us a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe wherever you find your favorite shows. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Ambitious. That's A-M-B-I-S-H-E-O-U-S. 